Okay, here we go. Mary, here we go. We love you, Mary. You're the best. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Let's pray. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, take our whole being, redeem us by your blood, and gird us with your power. Use us in your servant service and draw us ever closer to yourself. From this day forth, O Master, take our life and let it be only yours. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. Um, lots of stuff is cooking. Steak fry at the end, which is not steak fry for the women this year. It's pig roast for the women. Is that right? I'm from Iowa. More pigs than people. No, no derogatory comments about that. The pig is going to turn on the spit on Saturday. What are the boys getting? Pig or steaks? That's right. What's that? That's right. It's all going to be great. So, um, Betsy, you want to say 60 seconds about all the big stuff that's happened at Concordia? Let me warm you up. No, you don't have to. This is Betsy. She knows everything. You should do whatever Betsy says. Unless you're me, then you have special dispensation not to do that. But um, there's big Reformation-type stuff coming up on the 30th. Yes. At, um, including there's, been, there's lectures. Go on the website, cuc.org.edu. You can't keep changing the name or people can't find you. I'm sorry. Google up, it's in life together, Google up Concordia, Chicago, it'll come up. But there's a lot of stuff going on, including a big shot, big time cage match. The president of the Wheaton College, Matt Harrison, the president of the Missouri, and, the, and um, the cardinal, the archbishop, sorry, I didn't mean to slide him, the archbishop of Chicago, on one stage at one time. So, yeah, you get over there and see what happens, all right? I'm a little too, I don't want to be splattered with blood, so I'm going to watch it remotely uh, over my computer. Also, you can drink beer if you watch it at home, as opposed to, uh, at least one of the three probably wouldn't countenance that. So you got to, you know, I mean, there's Reformation and Reformation, okay? So there you go. Do some, do some stuff. Do some Reformation stuff. It's coming up. Um, we're putting the band back together. Uh, Pete Ladick sent me a thing about going to Croatia. Oh, actually... It was in the New York Times, which basically said, if you want to be Croatian, you basically drink, smoke, and swear. I'm like, right up our alley. You're all invited. So uh, we're going to Croatia with the Croatian Pete Ladik, which should be just a very fascinating, fascinating thing. Uh, Pastor Ladik, you know, he's such an interesting guy. He went to Chicago. His high school in Chicago um, was in the Guinness Book of World Records when he went through for the most languages spoken in, in an American high school. 31 languages in his high school spoken on near North Chicago. He's an interesting, interesting guy. Um, grand, you know, in the war, caught in between, grandfather. You know, um, there was a time when the Croatian resistance had to decide who they were going to surrender to. Part of them surrendered to the Americans. They went to a prison camp. Part of him, including his grandfather, surrendered to the Russians. They took him out in the woods, had him dig his own grave, and they shot him in the back of the head. And Pete's grandmother and mother then threw refugee camps and into Austria and then into Chicago and working in factories. Pete, he's an amazing, you know, he's an amazing story. Baptized at the Lutheran Church because it was closest by, you know, and then all the things that we got out of him. He's really quite a remarkable guy, so it makes me happy. And, of course, Arthur, you know, who's... Um, Caught in the hurricane in the DR in the Dominican Republic, so I haven't heard from him yet. I'm sure he's probably okay, or we'd have heard differently, but keep everybody in your prayers. A lot going on. Um, the Lurt truck was in Florida. Um, Steve's coming back. Little trouble coming back, little mechanical trouble, but um, it'll all be fine. Life will work out. But anyway, so a lot going on. Uh, throw some money in the basket for Grace School, is that right? 
Uh, so we'll go to Grace School. So everything is cooking and bring some detergent for Christmas sharing or socks because socks are the perfect present anytime, any day. So we can't give enough socks away, apparently. Fun socks, okay? Yeah, I'm not talking about the organ. You know why? Because musicians are in charge of that. And you know anything you know about musicians? No straight lines in a musician's life. I've not greeted the organ builder, nor have I walked in there, nor will I until it's over, because you know why? Jinx, that's why. Uh, I know there was money put away for an organ, but until it appears, it's just magic to me. Okay? Okay. Yeah, he's apparently here, so there you go. But I don't even know what he looks like, so forget about it. All right, any questions about anything? We're actually going to get to the Gospel of John at some point. But I was thinking about your life, right? So I was thinking over the weekend side of a couple of conversations, and I, I figured out America. Doesn't mean I'm running for president. So here's the, here's the thing. This is why nobody can understand America. It's running like a startup, right? This is why, so we got a whole new set of rules. So I'll give you, let me give you a couple of conversations, okay? So I was with some pastors who are not Lutheran and politically charged. And one of the interesting things, and they're kind of in the old school mode, so they're a little older, 50, 60 and older. And one of the interesting things that's happened with them is when they go to all the protests that are going on, they are no longer looked to for leadership. In fact, if you were a college, you're kind of not included. Now, this is a stark change in America. It's really a remarkable thing because, you know, through civil rights, there were a lot of players, but, of course, pastors often came to the fore. And what's interesting, so, you know, they're suffering, uh, you know, not only because they're older, but also because they're religious, and religious people had their chance, and they didn't get it right, so there's time for new leadership, and here we go. In some sense, that's good, right? And in some sense, it's kind of, it's good to turn leadership over and, you know, um, you know, and this is no comment on what's going on, but we have a president who's not a politician for good or, for good or ill, right? To pick chick, I'm not making any sort of statement, but he doesn't have, he has a different set of skills, right? Um, that look more like a startup maybe or entrepreneurial than they'd look like, you know, I grew up and my dad was governor and so I became, you know, that kind of stuff. So I've been thinking about this because there's such, every day, you know, and people were so nervous about this, every day you wake up and you, maybe you don't, but I ask myself, I wonder what happened, right? I wonder who poked whom in the eye, right? I'm just, every day, and so two, two things sort of came to mind this morning. Um, one was, well, I'm, let's see, I want to get to where I'm going to go. Let me, let me ask you this question first. In any organization... In any organization, what is the single greatest challenge? What's the greatest challenge in your life? If you were in business, what was the greatest challenge? If you were in a nonprofit, if you had a family, it's the answer is the same. I would posit to you, what's the greatest? And I'm gonna the answer is gonna be this is why you can't understand the world. Okay, so what's the greatest challenge that you face when you get up and go to work every morning? Whether your work is being a stay-at-home dad or you're CEO of a company, what's your greatest challenge? People. People stink. Have you ever met any people? I mean, the herding cats is an expression for a reason, right? And so one of the things that, one of the, well, you know, what's the greatest problem in startups? If you read, and this is just, this is not a judgment, this is just an observation, right? Like take Facebook this week, right? They, um, um, Shel Sandberg comes out and says, yeah, we just didn't anticipate that people would 
use the, the term Jew-hater to, uh, you know, place their advertisements and, and get, you know, and you kind of go, you should have been to confirmation with Pastor Nelson. Because, you know, people are horrible. If you've ever met any people, you would, you would know that people, right? So on the one sense, you know, the whole world looks like a startup. And this is, it probably looked like this in the 60s, although I was a little bit young. I remember sort of one of my seminal memories. My, there was a family business. I can remember one of my seminal memories is my dad going out about 8 o'clock one night with a garden hose over his shoulder. And I knew enough about the war. I had, a, I had an uncle who was dying from some cancer that he caught during the war, and we had moved in with him, and my dad was, the, you know, things were on edge in terms of race. And, you know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, for goodness sakes, this family business, and my dad is going out there with a garden hose, which is weird, over his shoulder. I'm, I said to him, you know, where are you going? He said, well... People are coming into town, and it looks like they might try to burn down the downtown, right? So my dad is going into this with, and you kind of think to yourself, like, now that's kind of an, a thing at on edge, right? I mean, things are well, and so I wake up every morning, and it looks like it looks like nobody can kind of figure anybody out. So, and I'll just give you. I was thinking on the way over, although you can Google this up. Um, and check now because you can't tell any stories anymore in front of a group because somebody's always, in fact, if you're under 35, you're Googling in real time going, nope, didn't really happen. But this table over here, feel free to Google away. <laughs> Don't worry, the Wi-Fi doesn't work and there's no reception. Whoa, Vic, are you going to mood? Are we, gonna, are we going in for a mood here, Vic? <laughs> I'm going to take it down real low now. I kind of remember, you know, I kind of remember the first Israeli jet that was hijacked and flown to Egypt. I kind of remember this. Um, the Israelis mobilized and they had a raid. So it might have been the very first, but very early in the notion of hijacking jets. Um, I don't know if you remember this, that the, the, there was some Arab folks who were, you know, distressed at different things about the Middle East. There's certainly plenty to be distressed about hijack. This flew this plane to Egypt. It was really interesting. Um, they did, of course, mobilize all the proper sharpshooters and bomb squads and police and negotiators. But the one thing that the hijackers wanted was to have a press conference and talk, right? And there was a clever thing that the Israelis did. They didn't kill them all. The people came off, and they didn't blow the plane up, and they didn't kill them all, though it was certainly possible. They actually gave them a press conference, and then they arrested them all one after another, and they took them to jail, Right? See, sort of what's the lesson there in managing people? You always got to give people a way out. You always give people a way out, right? Your kid, it doesn't matter if you're kids, if you're in a meeting, if you're at work, if somebody works for you. You always have to give people a way out. When people feel trapped, that's when things get violent. Listen to the, to the dialogue in America right now. From all sides, people are backing other people into a corner where there's no way out. It is the great mistake of youth, right? It is the great mistake of managing people. When you're young and strong and you think you can move around and it's easy. So you have the shift of leadership, which is fabulous because you get bright things and basically, hey, we didn't do that great a job. And frankly, the last 300 years haven't been that great either. But one of the things about working with people is that you always got to leave them a way out. If you don't leave them a way out, they have no choice but to fight you, right? And on all sides right now. So I'm not talking to anybody else but you, right? 
So we sort of started by saying the world is a changed place and it's hard to understand and your kids and millennials and it's easy to blame people and hating people is easy too. And come on, let's go. But, but here's the thing. In your going, um, you have to leave people away out. The regular criticism of St. John by other pastors and congregations is that we're not hard-nosed enough, right? We're too soft on people. I know, right? That's what you always say about me, too. He's Mr. Softy. That's how you talk about me, right? I know you do. I know you do. I don't even have to go on Facebook for this. Right? I know it. I know it. Uh, by the way, uh, the reason I told you about Pete was if you want to go to Croatia with Pete, there's a thing in the back. That's why I told you. It made me think of that because Kirby's, it's on Kirby's Facebook. You can chat with her about it. But yeah, you got to leave sort of. But here's the problem, right? And we're going to do just a little bit this morning. And then we'll sort of move hard-nosed into the text next time. But one of the th- things about um, Jesus is that he provokes. And actually, I'll show you today. John actually uses the Greek word. It translates literally as crisis, Right? What Jesus does creates this crisis. And it's a difficult thing in the church because the church is all about love and it's about understanding people and it's about giving people room to move around and it's about forgiveness and it's about second chances. It's about everybody's in and nobody's out. And you can even come at the 11th hour and you get the full boat. You know, it's all going to be great. And yet, you have this Jesus who, by his very presence, creates crisis. Right? Where Jesus sort of kicks the stilts out of everything and in some sense, right, demands a choice. You're in or out, lightness, light or darkness, right? You're with me or you're against me. Jesus, who, those who aren't with me are against me. Now he has another place where he says something opposite, right? So you've got to kind of put it all in context. The problem with us is, is that we often mistake our division for Jesus' division. Right? We divide hard, in a hard-nosed way by all sorts of things that didn't make a lick of difference to Jesus, by the color of people's skin, by their politics, by where they live, by how much money they have, by how they speak. Right? We have all these things, and we often act as if Jesus made those decisions in that way too. No, Jesus made decisions in a very, very different way. Right? He makes it his decisions as good and evil, light and darkness. So I said this to you last year. I started saying it, and I've tested it now out. Virtue over tribe, right? Virtue over tribe. Goodness over evil, light over darkness. That's how Jesus makes his distinctions. So what you have to do in real time, you can say, you know, especially when things are going great at a place like St. John, hey, it's all fabulous, and we're all wonderful, and this is great, and we got our people, and we're all kind of the same, and those people out there, and let it fall down on top of them. Right? That's, I mean, Jesus doesn't know anything about that. Jesus spends most of his time wandering among the peoples, among the unwashed, the unchosen, the unclean, Right? Jesus spends most of his time with the Gentiles. He didn't spend most of his time with church people. And so part of reading John is you figure out from Jesus how you engage people who are not like you, who may disagree with you in all sorts of ways, right? And most of the time, you know, where Jesus turns over the table, that's a very rare story. Jesus has his own disappointment this week in morning Eucharist. We had leper, the leper story. You're going to hear that for Thanksgiving, right? Where are the other nine? Jesus, of course, is disappointed, right? Jesus, you know, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Yeah. 
maybe some places. By the way, wasn't the world supposed to end yesterday? Did I miss it? Or are you all unraptured? Now, that would be a startling little turn of events, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, for them today and for us, we may have to slog it through, Dave. So... Anyway, the point of studying John is, so sort of kind of keep these things in the back of your mind, right? Jesus is not about putting people in a corner without letting them out, right? Nor is Jesus interested in ruling by power, though he could. His ultimate glory, his exaltation, his vindication is when he's crucified when evil people crucify an innocent man. And that's just talking about the judicial part of it. It can be on a much broader, bigger scale than that. So we often, you know, we often say we want to see like Jesus and speak like Jesus and act like Jesus and live like Jesus. Okay, I I just warn you, it doesn't look like almost anybody this morning from, you know, professional athletes all the way to the president to North Korea. I don't hear anybody singing the song that Jesus is singing, which is okay. That's not their job, but it is actually your job. And if you can privilege virtue over tribe or Jesus over everything else, right? The sermon was brilliant again this morning about that, right? This genius of a sermon about how you, how the master has his way and what's it to you, Right? Because if he wants to love everybody, that's just what he's going to do. He's going to love everybody. And then the, well, I won't, yeah, well, I'll ruin it. Spoiler alert, close your ears if you're going to 11. <laughs> hey, it was an interesting question. What do they do tomorrow? That's a fascinating question, right? Which is actually the sanctification. It's your question, like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I know where you are today. You're here. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, you know. So... Just kind of think about it. We have to find a way to make sense of the world. This is my latest way of making sense of it, that the whole world is running like a startup because things are changing so fast, which means you have inexperienced slash children in charge. However, um, they're all billionaire children, so you can't be too down on them, right? The big news in the Wall Street Journal yesterday is, you know, Zuckerberg's going to sell $12 billion worth of stock. I'll just sell it in a different way. I'm not going to get the same tax break control. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the kind of problems that I have most days at St. John. You know, what are we going to do with that extra $12 billion? I just don't actually know. All right, so if you're playing along, just questions about any of that? Mostly what I'd like you to do is, by the end of this, is to be Jesus to people, which is to be kind. And to, to not worry so much about, not to grip the world too tightly, right? Grip your children tightly and your spouse and your friends here. Grip them tightly, right? But be careful about gripping the world too tightly, you know, this is the whole alignment of the church with America, particularly America on the left or on the right. Both sides kind of do it. It's, you know, sort of, you know. It's all, you know, just, just pay attention to what you grip, right? And that's just, this is what John is going to say. John is going to start by saying, well, you've never seen anything like this before. This, is, this isn't a godly person, right? This is quite literally the Logos who was turned toward the Father in adoration and cooperation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was turned toward the Father, you know, with, turned toward, oriented toward, 
and the word was God, right? I mean, that's a different, it's just sort of, you know, if you can just sort of stay calm when everybody else is going crazy. I mean, it's almost, it's almost laughable to turn the news on. I wonder in myself how long all the different sides can keep generating the energy to be angry every morning. I mean, how many days and counting, right? I mean, you've got to, you know, if anger is your hermeneutic, it's hard to be angry all the time, every day, about something new. It's, it's just, it'd be much easier just to kind of like love people, right? All right, just questions about that? You don't have to believe me. I'm just trying to get you through life in one piece. In fact, in a piece that looks something like the Holy Trinity. But y'all good? All right, I'm only, I'm, uh, just go to, about, go to lesson two about number eight, okay? So basically, Jesus shows up and he tells you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about what the world looks like. You know, you've heard this. It's, the, it's always one of the readings from Christmas. It's a gentle, you know, sort of kind reading. But we should at least sort of, we should read this just to get oriented a little bit, right? It may not be just in your head. You may not have it quite by memory. But John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and, you know, so in the beginning... You know, you're supposed to think Old Testament now, right? This is the way the, the Genesis begins. So John is telling you the Genesis story again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The world was formless and void, right? In the beginning, so John sort of, this is partly, remember we talked about John being sort of a tornado that swirls and scoops everything up and brings everything back and drops things and rearranges, but is kind of rich and thick and dense and dangerous and wonderful all at one time. Right? In the beginning, Old Testament, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was oriented toward God, he was facing God, he was turned toward God. So you have at least two persons there, was with God, and was God, and he was the same as God, and yet he's separate than God. You already have Holy Trinity talk coming in here. So you have God, who we'll later know as God the Father, and you have the Word, who will later be introduced to as Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? But from forever, in the beginning, back when things started, before things started, before there was time, because that's how you and I measure how things started, before there was anything, just from, from, from forever, it's the way things always were, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, orient toward God, or adoring of the Father, cooperative, in perichoresis, that fancy term for the divine dance. And the Word was God. So he's other and yet same. He's divine and yet a separate person. He has the same ousia, the stuff of the Father. He's homoousius, same stuff, Father and Son. That's what the first three centuries was fought over. All the heresies were about how the father and son relate to each other. Are they the same? In what sense are they the same? In what sense are they different? How can you have a, two persons from forever and one of them is begotten? These are great things. You can ask when you get to heaven. But, you know, in the beginning was the word. And I just, you know, I should just say this. I'm not going to work this too hard, but... <clears throat> I'm not too concerned. I'm less and less concerned, for sad reasons actually, about defending my story logically because the world is no longer logical. 
linear thought, ABC, is a casualty of the demise. Linear thought is Western thought. It comes from the Greeks through the Romans, you know, through the through the history of, of the West to us. You know, linear thought is uh, it's how we work. Yes, of course, you can work in other ways. I, you know, you shouldn't get bent about there are other ways of thinking. It's just that other ways of thinking ta- give you other results, right? A and B yield C, and X and Y yield Z, and, you know, those, a, you know, C and Z aren't the same. This is, you know, and so the problem is we have all these different ways of how things work and how we think. So, in some sense, you know, when you teach this Bible study, people want to go back and, you know, dismantle evolution or ask about how it can interact with science or what about carbon dating or dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you had all of that in the right sort of way. And if you were, if that's really what mattered to you, we could sit down and have coffee every day for two years and kind of think that through. I don't find any of those to be challenging in the proper sense, that you, meaning you can kind of find scientists on all sides to argue in all different directions and things are always revised and... And even if I could lock it down, at the end of two years of argument, people would just say, eh, I think I just believe what I believe, right? People are no longer persuaded by thought. So, but they are persuaded often by emotion. Behind emotion lies love. So partly what I've tried to do over the past couple of years is to have you approach people differently. I mean, I often say to the vicars, here's your problem. Vic, what's your problem? Once a week at least, this is your problem. What? Yeah, you're thinking rationally again. Yeah, you got to cut that out, man. I mean, you just got to, you got to, you know, because what, what's the point, right? You make rational presuppositions about people. Well, people aren't rational. Well, here's an interesting appeal. In fact, this is, we started by talking about we just tell our story. And one of the things about that is you have the Holy Spirit on your side because we actually believe that the Holy Spirit works, Ruach, Old Testament, breath, spirit, right? works through words, and it's his job to do the work. So your job is to deliver the story. Your job is to tell the story in a way that the story can be heard in kindness and love. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, forgive, create faith, prompt. None of that belongs to you. Your job is to tell a good story, right? So here's your story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right, And he was in the beginning with God, just in case you missed it in the first verse. But this is how Hebrew things work. You remember Psalms where you sort of, Psalms, um, you, read, you read a story, or you read a line in the Psalms and then they say the same line again? Yeah, because it's Hebrew poetry. They, when they want to make a point or you should really pay attention, they say things twice. It sort of spirals around. This is why if you read Revelation... Revelation is three liturgies. One, it goes all the way through. Two, all the way through. Three, all the way through, which ends with the Lamb of God on the throne in a place where light lives and there is no darkness. There's neither morning nor evening. There's not dawn nor dust because the Lamb of God sits on the throne. So you'll have to get some of those blinders that you wear when when you're in first class and united. So, okay. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, just in case you were curious, in case your confirmation passed you, pastor taught you that the Father was the creator, and you memorized the first um, article of the creed, and then you thought that the Father did the creating. Well, not so fast, friends. Uh, Jesus is the agent of creation, so when Jesus comes back to his creation in flesh and blood and stuff, he's coming to rescue what he made. It's like, you know, 
coming back to school to pick up your art project. That's what it's like. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, which means the Word is either the thing spoken or the one speaking, right? It's, you can play with this. Logos is the, you know, the Greek word logos. You know this from like logos bookstores is the word, is the word for word. But the Greek philosophers thought of this as the glue that held together the universe. Logos was the rationality that permeated everything. It was the principle by which things were created, even in Greek thought, right? It's sort of the universal stuff that makes everything turn out okay. And John takes that word and he says, yeah, you're close, but it's in the person and flesh of Jesus, which is going to be really important. The whole Gospel of John can kind of be summed up as his flesh, born of Mary, his flesh. And I, convinced, I, I talked to you last week about you know, whether Jesus would have taken flesh even if Adam wouldn't have sinned. You know, at this late time in my life, I'm pretty well convinced, yes, it's true. I said this to Bukes and Nelson. Where, you know, the, best, the two best 10-minute ten parts of my day often are the 10 minutes as we dress for morning Eucharist and the 10 minutes as we unvest. So I said to him the other morning, I'm like, where are you on this? I said, I pretty much come around. Like, I think, I think Jesus would have taken flesh even if he wouldn't have sinned. It's, it's just kind of like okay, your mind kind of goes, right? So can you imagine Jesus walking around in Eden in the cool of the day in flesh? <laughs> Adam would say, oh, I heard your voice, but I never saw you before. This is, yeah. And Bukes kind of goes, oh, yeah. And Nelson goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Smarty pants, guys. Young kids, it's like a startup down there. There's no rules. They do what they want. Can't understand them. Don't know what to do next. He was with God. All things were made through him, and without him wasn't anything that was made. And then this, right? This is the payoff. In him was life. It should be a big L. And the life was the light of men. That's the whole deal. The logos is life, and life is the light of men. You need these three things to go together. You need the logos, the word, Jesus the Christ, Right? The Logos is life. Right? With all that that means, he was the creative life that made you. He is the incarnate life that redeems you. Right, He is the life waiting for you when you get to heaven that makes your death really not be that bad. We should remind each other about that. He was life and light. Right? If you just want, you know, my virtue over tribe spiel to you, and I know you think I'm not doing anything that um, is on the pages that I write, and you might be right, but here's the thing, right? You can read that at home on your own, right? I can't write everything down. I just have to write enough down that I remember where I was going, but guess what? I'm not going there. So here's the thing. The flesh of Jesus is life and light, right? So the flesh of Jesus, which gave you light, comes born of Mary, is in the Eucharist this morning, which is why the Eucharist is the center, because the flesh of Jesus, what does the text say? The flesh of Jesus is life and light. You know, verse 14, like the tabernacle, like the temple, like the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, like Eden, like every story you know. Come on! Well, here's the thing. People will get miserable enough, dark enough, in pain enough. I mean, I'm just being real honest with you. Americans have it too easy. 
Part of the reason so we're so abusive toward each other, we're so brash toward other people, and who we are and what it is, is life's too easy. We, we you know, talk about first world problems, right? Your problem is you signed your kid up for too many after school things. That's your big problem in life, and you can't get your minivan to all the places. I've lived this life. I secretly enjoyed the minivan from time to time myself, but uh, you can put a piece of plywood in the back, four by eight. It's whoever was doing that. It's just a little joke on everybody who thought that was only for other people, right? I bet Marty Johnson has even put plywood in a minivan. Even though he's got that hot shot pickup, I bet Mar- I'm not even going to ask. I'm not going to look toward him. I think he might be over here somewhere. Right? So here's the point. This is, so my, the point of all this is, is the world is angry. The world is nervous. The world is not thoughtful. The world is cruel. The rules are being rewritten in ways that only people in power have a way out. And you don't hear at all about people in power from any side, at least that I'm hearing. You don't hear anybody in power talk about for all of us. What you hear is people saying, for me and my tribe, and kind of to hell with the rest of you. That is how families, communities, organizations, states, nations... So we'll just take Yugoslavia, where Pete's from, right? I don't know if you remember. You, I don't know if you remember when Yugoslavia blew up. You know they'd been kind of forced together: Christians and Muslims, Serbs and Croatians, and people from um, uh, the surround. They're kind of all pushed together, right, and made to be a people. I remember reading this when Yugoslavia blew up. People were surprised that. You know, Muslims and Christians who'd lived next door to each other for 20 or 30 years and sort of had a tolerable relationship kind of walked next door and shot each other in the head. And they're like, what happened? What happened? They, they'd lived next door to each other for 20 or 30 years and nothing happened. What happened? What happened is that the, the solution was made by power and not by love. Think about America. Every solution you hear is a solution made by power, right? Every solution you hear right now is exclusive. Me and my people, my tribe, my sharp elbows, we're stronger than you. We'll rewrite the rules. We'll make it in a way. There's ins, there's outs, right? Just listen. You don't have to believe me. You can just ask yourself. And one of the great things that Christianity lent to the West was, yes, in fact, I am my brother's keeper, right? Because, yes, we do have the same... Lord, who is life and light. And if you end up going down with the ship because you cling to Jesus as Lord, it's a first world problem, right? If you end up going down with the ship, it's like it's not the last ship, right? Because in the beginning was the word, and that's endless, right? So, you know, just sort of you try to try. And I want to get this all the way down to why you're mad about your 29-year-old next-door neighbor. Because if you're mad at your 29-year-old next-door neighbor who you can't understand, guess what? They're not coming to church, which means they'll never enjoy this. And that's on you and that's on me. Because what we're meant to be is Jesus to other people. You see, this is all works out. It's just yeah, There's just a lot of pieces to the story. But it, the simplest way is, you know, this is love. Now... I will also say, you know, the two genius boys, Nelson and Bukes, are teaching this Bible study on Friday mornings. It's going to be fabulous, right? 
it's going to be absolutely fabulous on Song of Psalms, which is basically on all the different aspects of love, certainly within a relationship of a, of a man and a woman, but more broadly than, you know, how the church works, how the world works, how it is between God and all of us. You know, so if you can come, um, no men, except for me. Okay, so you, I mean, it's a women's Bible study. Let them, let them have their fun. Although I have to keep an eye on those young guys because they are trouble, okay? In the beginning was the Word, where the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was there from the beginning. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. So the three things together, logos, life, and light. Boom, boom, boom. The light shines in the darkness, and this is actually your consolation. And the darkness has not snuffed it out, right? So here, no matter what it looks like, you know, uh, no matter what it looks like, love is still greater than hate. Life, divine life, is still greater than human evil. So, I mean, there it is. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not over. Comet. Now, we might as well just keep going and do nothing with the things, and we'll do them next week, I guess. But So there was a man, he from, came from God. His name was John, John the baptizer. He came for pointing, to bear witness, to tell people that people might believe. So this is how people come to believe. You point at Jesus, and you say, that's the guy. So I put this in the first lecture, which is hopefully, you know, what you'll learn to do is just, you know, not like this, lecture people, you know, like your confirmation class, your pastor, you know, now you're sort of like going, hey, you should, you know, this doesn't seem to be working. You should try that, right? Darkness is not working out so much. Hate's not so good. Evil, retaliation, pick something, power, even power. Those things aren't the way. But, hey, you should take a look at this, this light that you might believe, which is just to say, thanks, I got it, right? He wasn't the light. He came to bear witness to the light, which is what you all are meant to do. You're not the light, but you bear witness to the light. You are the light in some sense because you have divine light that you pass on, the pass-through, right? So the sermon last week, love isn't a possession. Uh, uh, you, you know, it's a gift that passes through you. You don't own it, right? It's a gift from outside that moves through. Just kind of listen to this now. The true light that enlightens every, every person, every man. So this was like, you know, this is everybody, the true light that enlightens everybody. So everybody is in and nobody's out, was coming into the world. So he's coming, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. So you could say this, he was in the world, and the world that he made knew him not. He came to his own home. It's all my home, I built this, right? It's my home. As I grow older, I'm starting to take little drives to places that matter to me when I was young. I left Kirby at home and drove to the house my father built a few weeks ago. Can't kind of get there anymore. Things have changed around. I got close. I was a little afraid to go because it was all posted like, don't come here, we'll shoot you, which is enough to put me off at this advanced age. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of go, that's my own home, and I just want to, you know, I was there. I, you know, my father built that house. I want to, you know, is Jesus coming back to the thing he built? He... You know, he came to his own home, and his own people received him not. Hey, it's me. Marco, Polo, hey, it's me. I'm here, right? 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 But to all who received him, right, to all who welcomed him, 
to those who said, Amen, thank you very much, I'll have some more. I've been waiting for you, this is great. Let me die in peace, the nunc dimittis. Mary, let it be unto me, as you've said. Um, the first disciples come and see, come meet a man who told me whatever I did, anything, everything I've ever done. You saw me underneath the fig tree, right? Nathaniel, the woman at the well, all these people. But to those who welcomed him, who received him, who believed in his name, now this is critical because this whole book is about baptism and Eucharist. The whole story here is about being baptized into Jesus. For those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. This is how you become a child of God. You know how you get to be a child of God? By the name, right? Not by, verse 13, the will of the flesh. Not by blood, so you were born into it. Or the will of the flesh. Your father and mother thought it would be a good idea to have a child. Or the will of man, I decided for Jesus. No. But by God. God makes children. So here's the thing. This is so easy, right? This is the story. God makes creation. Creation falls into darkness. God comes back. God welcomes his children home. Boom, boom, boom. It's a very happy story. And in some ways, you have to always make things to your advantage. The history of the world can be written. The the successful people in the world are the people who have been able to rewrite vices as virtues, right? I mean, a harder way of saying that is to say winners write history. But a different way of saying it is to say all of life, every challenge becomes an opportunity to do good. Every vice can become a virtue. Every pain can become a blessing. Guess what? This is how the story works. From forever, God, and we're going we're to do this next week because I can't do it this week. Here's the weird thing. This is the word for begotten, which is the same word that Jesus, that, that the Father used. Do you know this? Do you know that the Scripture uses the same word for you today? You all know it as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This is the same word. So this is what happens. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together. They love each other. They'd like more to love. They make you. They intend to come visit you. They intend to visit you in the flesh. But as the sermon said this morning, you can't be happy in the vineyard. And so you have to you know, treat it like a startup and cannibalize everything and screw it all up. Still good news. The only begotten Son of the Father comes to make you an only begotten child of God. This is very nice news in a world where you turn the news on every morning and everybody hates everybody else and is back in a corner ready to fight. And it's only people who have never been in a good fight who think that's a great way out. Right? If you've been in a good... Yeah, I can't tell you that story because I don't know you well enough yet. Uh, <laughs> I had an old friend who wrote me last night. He said, I want to go to Croatia with your congregation. But he said, and he said, I promise, no stories from Princeton. I'm like, hmm, is this worth the risk? Hmm. So here's the story. God made everything. God made you. God loves you. You ruined it. Good news. God will come back and make you a begotten child, just like the Father made the Son a begotten child. Include you in everything, right? Keep you close, keep you safe. Let you live in light and in love, right? And frankly, live that way forever. So the eternal 
continued growing appreciation for who God is and what God does. It's a genius of a story. And it's actually the story that our world needs, and it's exactly opposite. The worse it gets, the better our story is, right? But you have got to keep your wits about you and not always be straightening people out, lecturing them, being angry, right? Especially if you wear a collar. Everybody knows what I think already, or they think they know. So I have more you know, to get over than you do. Because people all, I can tell you, you know, when I, during, in the day, I can remember being you know, in an elevator in places, in a hospital, for example, where I'm standing in an elevator like this as somebody go, under their breath goes, child molester, right? Well, I mean, we deserve it. You know, the church deserves it. You know, it's paying for your sins, right? But it's probably the same for you. It could be white male, or it could be living in Wheaton, or it could be whatever it is. Okay. That's how the world works. The world is a difficult place, right? Okay. You can get angry like everybody else and throw your elbows around and push people out and blah, blah, blah. Or you can go in the way of Jesus and live in light and love and just kind of think that this story is all going to work out. It'll be great. I assure you with everything in me, the second option is better. Okay, and that's what we're going to try to do. And we're going to meet people all year long in the Gospel of John who shouldn't be in and suddenly they're in. Should be out and guess what? They're begotten too. And when you finally come to realize that Jesus, that your heavenly father treats you exactly the way he treats Jesus, that both of his begotten children have the same status before him, right? Yours, of course, always through your older brother, Jesus. Your whole life will change. And a lot of things you worry about now or you feel like you need to defend or push people around about, it's not that not so important. All right, we've got to go to church. Um, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks.